Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Thank you. You obviously know you may be seated. That's a good thing. And I'm glad you do. Hey, um, before we dive into today's message, I got a couple of uh, housekeeping things that I need to let you know about. First of all, next Sunday, it's going to be a great day of worship, but it won't be here. Okay? It will be at Wanamaker Park. And it won't be at 9.30 and then at 11. It'll be one service at 10.30. One joint service and celebration of the goodness of God in the park. So please make plans to be there. There's a a little sheet in your newsletter that will give you some more details about it. But just a couple of things I want to make sure you know. The activities kind of kick off at 10. Our teams will be in place at 10 to start welcoming you and receiving you. Um, As soon as you drive into the park, start looking for River Bluff signs. Because there will be directional signs that will show you where to go and drop off your food. Now, what we're going to be providing, we'll provide the burgers and the dogs and the fixings to kind of go with that, the condiments, those kinds of things. We'll provide the paper products. Here's what you need to bring. You need to bring some drinks, some, some tea and soda and those kinds of things that we'll share. You need to bring side dishes that go along with burgers and dogs. And you need to bring chocolate. Just chocolate in its purest form. Dark, the bitterer, the better. Um, just bring, you know, bring dessert, you know, bring, bring those kinds of things. It's going to be a great, great day in the Lord um, next Sunday at the park. So I, I hope you'll make plans to be there. Bring, bring a chair, bring a lawn chair. Um, because we want or, or a blanket. Um, we, there won't be seating out there, so you'll need to bring that. We'll help you if you need help. We'll have teams of people uh, parking. You'll be able to drive up to a location and hand your food out the window. You don't have to carry it anywhere. You can just drive up. We got a team of people that will go take that for you. We have food runners. We also uh, still need volunteers. So if you haven't signed up to help volunteer on one of our teams to help make this go well, you can do that today. You can fill out a connection card right now during the service and just say, hey, here's my contact information. I want to serve on this team or just assign me somewhere. Uh, We would love to have you be a part of of one of our serving teams. Uh, Ticket sales have gone on and, and basically what that is is a reduced ticket to get into the park instead of $2 per person. We've got the tickets on sale for $1.50. You can pick those up after the service today. But anyway, just I hope you make plans to be a part of that. Also today, I'm really excited about this. We, we, are, we are launching a new ministry today that we're calling uh, the Yellow, Yellow Ribbon Ministry. And what our Yellow Ribbon Ministry is going to do is this. It's, it's going to be a part of our, uh, our prayer focus and specifically focusing prayer uh, for those those in our armed forces who are either going away to basic training for the first time or are being short-term deployed. So if you're a, a member of River Bluff's family and you're in the armed forces and you're being deployed, we want to pray for you. And so what we're going to do is we'll, we'll set up a time to gather, um, to pray over you, and we're going to tie a ribbon, a bow on a tree with your name on it, and we're going to leave it there till you come back. And it's going to remind us to pray for you by name for the service and sacrifice that you are making for us. 
Because we're grateful for your service and we want you to know that. And right after this service, well about 10 minutes after this service, we will meet out in front of the atrium out in the yard. And uh, we, we're going to do that because David Vienno, um, who is in the Army National Guard, uh, is being deployed. I think it's a six-month deployment, nine-month, 47 years, uh, something like that. David's being deployed um, and uh, he's going to be heading to the Middle East for a season. And so we want to be in prayer for David and we're going to do that and gather and pray over him uh, right outside right after this service. If you have your Bibles and I hope you do open them to Ephesians chapter 4 that's where we've left off in our study of Ephesians and uh, also be praying I think I've seen some of our men's ministry who've been on retreat walking back in if they're if they fall asleep don't wake them if they snore wake them. Um, just go, go ahead and do that, okay? Punch them if they start snoring. Um, but they, they, they've been on retreat this weekend. We've got a, a team of our young adults who have been serving at Connie Maxwell uh, Children's Home this weekend. And they've been up there serving the Lord and serving uh, those group of folks and learning from them. Uh, and so we want to continue to pray for them. Uh, they'll be traveling back today. I uh, hope you've found Ephesians chapter 4. I want to read one verse today. One verse, and uh, I, I hope it'll make sense as to why we're going to stop at this one verse today. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to read verse 17 together. God's Word says this. Now this I say, and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Now the NIV calls it the futility, translates it the futility of their thinking. The Christian Standard Bible translates it in the futility of their thoughts. Now most of you understand that, that futile, I'll give you the definition. Futile basically means it serves, it's not useful in any way. It really, it's completely ineffective. And so there's a way to think that's ineffective. And we're going to, we'll come back later and unpack more of what Paul said about the kind of the outcome and outflow of futile thinking. But I want us to think specifically today what I believe is the kind of the source of all futility in our thinking. And it is this, that somehow we're in control. And I had a little battle with this not long ago, um, really this, this month, when our team, our Ecuador team, uh, went on mission to Ecuador. And I'm going to ask them to start making their way up here. I'm going to kind of keep talking about that as, as they're making their way up here. But we sent a team from Charleston to Ecuador. They were to leave on October 5th, and then they were going to... Um, Welcome them. We need to say thank you for coming. Yeah. There you go. We, we sent them out uh, to, to go to Ecuador to work with our partners over there. And they were planning to leave on a Saturday, October 5th, and planning to return, I think, on Sunday, October 13th. That was their plan. And it was a good plan. And we had cooperated with the church in Mbato, Ecuador. Our partners in ministry were Pastor Jonathan is the pastor. And when they got in country, 
uh, they discovered, they, they knew going in that there was some unrest. When they got in country, they found out that it was much greater than they thought. Um, they were able to safely drive about a two and a half hour drive from where they landed in capital city of Quito to um, Ambato, where our partners uh, live and work and play, their, their ministry field. And then they got connected there. Well, um, all the while, things began getting worse and worse and worse. And somewhere along the way, I decided I needed to be in control of things. I'm glad you laughed because that was stupid. I mean, I do, most of you know me, I do dumb things all the time. But this, I, I ended up in a path, a trench of futile thinking. Thinking that somehow I can control. Now, was I responsible as, as their shepherd and pastor to try to help and think? Yes, I have a responsibility. But my thoughts went beyond that into thinking that somehow I, I needed to be in control. And so I tried to do that in some ways. Probably frustrated some of them a little bit. Sorry about that, guys, if I did that. Um, it was intended out of love. But um, it, it was, it, it, it tilted. And so these guys went in with this incredible plan. But God changed that and did something beyond what I think they asked or imagined. And I've asked them today to share a little bit of, of a couple of things. One is, what, what, what did they see God doing around them? What did God do in them from this experience? And what, uh, maybe what passage of scripture did they kind of cling to uh, during their extra week? Because their week got extended. They went for a week and then stayed two. Um, because they couldn't get out of the country. For those of you that don't know, many of you prayed for them. But I've asked them to begin sharing. And I'm going to ask you to share your name. Most people know you, I know. But share your name for those who don't. And, um, and just what God did around you, in you. And maybe what passage just, just kind of clung to those two weeks. I'm Tina Young, and um, I, I've been on a couple um, ministries and trips before where God showed me that we need to make our plans, but then hang on to them loosely. And when you sign up to go on a trip, you're not signing up to be safe. Um, you're signing up to do God's work. And sometimes that means going on edgy places and doing edgy things and um, that's definitely what happened on this trip. Um, we, we signed up for the trip and we knew going in that there was turmoil, as Joe mentioned, but um, we signed up to go behind God and he had his plans and we had ours and he made it very clear that his were going to be the ones that were carried out. Um, we did unexpected work. We got to work with um, some in an orphanage that we didn't see coming. Um, that was like a gift. I mean, I, there were a lot of things in the trip that like God ministered to me personally, but that was one of them. I have a, a heart for orphans and for um, underprivileged, and so we did get to serve that. Um, and then I would say the verse that stuck out to me the most was where God tells us over and over again to be still and know that he is God. Um, we found ourselves many times with every day we woke up and kind of made tentative plans and every day the plans didn't go that way and he was very much in control and had us in his grasp the entire time. Um, we definitely felt your prayers. Um, we appreciated them. We had people praying from all over the nation and in Ecuador as well um, for us to get on our way and come home. But God used every day that we were there to build relationships and um, to do his work. So I'm Christina Peace, um, and I went 
I'll confess, I'm type A personality, so you know, I had a plan and I uh, thought we were going to do a certain thing and God changed that uh, pretty, pretty much entirely. Um, but we still got the opportunity to uh, really minister to the people of Peba, I think, which is First Baptist Ambato. Um, we got to share with them, uh, ha you know, how we do Vacation Bible School and empower them with some materials um, and some information. And I think this week they had a very successful um, Vacation Bible School in Cairo, which is a town near Ambato. Um, but I think for me the verse, uh, it's the same verse, Psalm 4610, but my favorite translation says we should cease striving and wait on the Lord because we were striving to get home. There were a few days that we were trying to come up with a plan and we could do this and we could do this. But we need to cease striving and just wait on the Lord. His provision does not always look like we think it will. Um, but he is good and he will provide. And he did for us well. We had things to do while we waited and uh, we got an opportunity really, I think, to make a difference there in Ambato. I'm Gene Smith and we did have a plan. Um, we had a good plan. It was just the wrong plan. Um, we left knowing that there was some unrest but and, and we talked about it as a group, are we still going to go? Our primary goal in going was to share the gospel. And just didn't seem right to say the gospel is important, but only under ideal circumstances. So we went. We went in faith. Um, not faith that everything was going to be all right, but faith that God's will would be done. And, and we were to go carry that out. Um, so when, when we got there, we were going to do this thing and God said but I need you to do another thing and so had had our original plans gone as, as planned um, we would have been there about a week we would have done this Bible school thing and we would have met some people got some names and faces and then come back and said well that was a nice trip um, and God said that's not good enough um, to God relationships matter and and people matter so he gave us this time and and kept us in an area where we couldn't go too far afield so that we spent time with the people of Mbato time with with people at First Baptist Mbato and we got to know them and what ended up happening was instead of us spreading the gospel, they were showing us the gospel as while their country's falling apart, they're serving us every day and worried about us every day. And, and that just made such an impression on me that we came away with a new second home and new lifelong friends. And those of you that know me know me and people aren't necessarily, you know, yeah, like that. And God told me that's not good enough either. Um, I need you to be this way. I need you to build these relationships. And then I need you when you get back home to remember that. And the verse that stayed with me and... Um, you know, some paraphrase of it was in my mind and on my lips every day was in Proverbs where he said, man's heart makes plans, but God guides his steps. So we had our plans, God had his, and 
thankfully, his will got done and not ours. I'm Dean Enfinger. <clears throat> Apologize for my cold. My Gene and Dave loved me so much they decided to share it with me um, as I came back home. But it, it was an incredible trip. Um, someone asked me, they said, given everything that happened, would you go back? And I said, absolutely, in a second. The people are just wonderful, loving. Jonathan has a little bit of Joe's syndrome. He apologized every day for what was going on in this country that, of course, he had no control over. But we were, because of the way God directed our paths, and uh, we were able to do two shoebox giveaways, which if you're preparing a shoebox or you haven't done it, please do it. It's, a, it's an incredible um, gospel experience and just the joy of those children. We were able to do it for a group of displaced Venezuelan children. You know, Venezuela is just in terrible condition and a lot have left their country and come into Ecuador. So we were able to do a shoebox giveaway with those children. And then also at the orphanage where Tina was kind of mentioned, um, we were able to go there and do a shoebox giveaway and it was just a, an amazing thing. While I was there, um, David asked me to share the Bible story and they brought in all the children and then they Lastly, they brought in these toddlers, and there was just this beautiful little two-year-old little girl who wanted me to pick her up. So I, I picked her up, and, you know, we hold kids like that, and normally they want to get back down, you know, and after we've switched hips about three or four times, we're kind of ready to put them down. But she was that death grip child, you know, like she just wanted to hold on. So I held her the whole time. It was just a wonderful experience, but I, I shared... You know, the Bible story which was Jesus' baptism. And then with them being an orphanage, you know, I shared that through Jesus that we have the perfect father. We're part of God's family. So even if you don't have a father, you have the perfect father who's in control of the universe and he will never leave you or forsake you. And as I was hoping to impact those children in an orphanage, you know, it, it always impacts me as well. And even in our circumstances, I had that perfect father who would never leave us, never leave any of us or forsake us. My name is Dave Harden, and uh, as they said, we, we had a plan, and that plan was to help out with a church plant in a town called Carroll, where there is no evangelical church. And our original plan entailed uh, us spending the week there. Uh, every day doing VBS and, and doing a Saturday Bible Club. Um, but as you heard, those plans changed. Uh, as it turned out, we did get to go to Cairo twice, once at the very beginning of the trip before the roads were uh, completely blocked. And we went there um, one morning and we got to take part in the dedication of the space that they're using to uh, gather people together for uh, corporate worship. So it, that was a very special time to be a part of that dedication, see that God was already working in advance. They had secured this place and um, we'll be able to continue to see how God is going to use that space. So th that was pretty cool to be a part of that. Um, then we also got to go our last full day in uh, Ecuador. We got to go back to Cairo once again. And um, we got to go into a public school there that had about 2,000 students between elementary and uh, high school. 
And we got to go into the classes and we got to hand out invitations for the VBS that First Baptist Umbato um, did this week. So what a cool opportunity to actually be able to go into the public school, talk about God, hand out the invitations uh, for the VBS. So it, it was just an amazing experience that God opened up for us. It was an incredible privilege for us. We, we really grew close to the volunteers of First Baptist Church Umbato during um, our time there and, and really came, I came away with the sense that, wow, I have, a, I have a family in Umbato, a family of believers from that church and from some of the other ministries that uh, work together there. So it was really a, a privilege to be a part of that. I don't really have one verse that kind of I leaned on during that week, but uh, kept coming back to the whole uh, counsel of God that tells us that God's working out his plans and purposes for his glory. And so I, I knew during that time there that whether things were seemingly bad or seemingly good, that God was working out his plans and purposes for his glory and that we got to be a part of that. And, and so that's what I rested on during that time. Well, Dave, if, if you would, would you just kind of lead us in a time of prayer for the, the, the work that is going on to plant a new church in Cairo and uh, praying that that good work that God's begun, that we know he's going to see it through and praying for uh, our brothers and sisters at Peba and praying for us getting to be a part of that work in the days ahead, if you would. Certainly. Let's pray. Father God, we, we thank you for the incredible privilege that you've given us to be a part of your work there in Ambato, uh, but even more specifically there in Cairo, where partnering with First Baptist Church, we, we hope to see a church planted there, an evangelical church where your presence can be made known in, in a town where there is no evangelical presence right now. And so we pray for that continued work there. We pray for the people of First Baptist Church Umbato as they continue to minister week in and week out there in the town of Carroll. Pray that... Uh, you would open up the hearts and minds of many of the children and that they would share with their parents uh, of what an amazing God you are and what an amazing Savior Jesus Christ is. I pray that Jesus Christ would be just exalted, high and lifted up there in the town of Carroll, uh, that all would be able to clearly see him and what he has done to open the way for them to have a relationship with their creator God. And so, Father, we pray for that work. We thank you that we get to continue to be a part of that. We, we saw the very beginnings of it uh, this last trip, but we thank you that you've invited us to uh, continue in that partnership. And so we pray that you'd continue to use us in a way that uh, would display and... Um, and be able to tell about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we pray for this work and we thank you for being our amazing God. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, guys. If y'all would thank them as they're heading back to their seats. And... Thank you, brother. 
Gene and I have talked about his great love of crowds of people swarming around him. And it was just so great to hear him talk about what the Lord was, was doing in him right now. And so the, there, there's a lot of good things that God has begun in each member of our team. And, uh, and I know that there are good things that God has begun in, in your lives too. And so what is, I want us to think about a little bit is what does it look like to really let God be God? God, not just in mission situations, but, but in all of life. To let God be God, because we, we, I think all of us have some, some issues related to this. There's a passage in 1 Chronicles that I, I want, want you to familiarize yourself with. It says this, Everything in the heavens and earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. What was going on in Mbato, that was his kingdom. What's going on right here in your life, in the here and now, last week, this week, that's, that's God's kingdom. And it says this, we adore you as being in control of everything. See, we have to come to understand as God's people that God is control, in control of everything. He created everything. He is ultimately in control of everything. He created nature, so he sustains it. When God wants to overrule his created order, guess what? He does. He gets, he gets to do that. He overrules it. It's his prerogative. The Bible tells us that God's in control of history. That all of history is moving to a focal point. A great event where God is going to display his glory in all of its fullness one day. All of history is moving that way. The Bible tells us that God's in control of our lives. That he actually decided when you would be born. And he decided where you would be born. The Bible teaches he's in control. The Bible gave you, tells us that God gave you natural abilities that you have. If you have a talent that was given to you by God, you didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. God gave it to you. You were born with innate talents. See, God gave you all of this out of his sovereignty, out of his control. And now, normally when this question gets raised or this topic gets raised about God's control, there's always this other question, well, do we have any freedom? Do, do, do we have freedom in this? And I want to say to you, yes, there is freedom. There's a certain amount of freedom, but it is limited. There is freedom, but it has limits. You don't have total freedom. Because you're a human being, you have some freedoms, but there are limitations. I don't know if you've ever been on a cruise, um, gotten on a cruise ship. You have a lot of freedom on that cruise ship. Let's say the, the, you, you got on a cruise to go to Bermuda. And so you get on the cruise ship and you can go to the first floor deck, you could go to the second deck, third deck. You know, you could, you ever been on a cruise, you know that you get to, you get to eat and then you get to, you know, maybe go take a nap and then you get to go eat and then you can swim and then you go eat. You know, there's just, there's a lot of eating involved. You have the freedom to do all of that. But here's what you don't have the freedom to do. You do not have the freedom to change the destination. And you don't have the freedom to change the course of how the ship gets there. You have a lot of freedom on that cruise ship, but it has limits. God says that there are things that you're, he's given you freedom in. You're, you're free to choose the way you act. But you're not free to avoid the consequences of those actions. Those, those have been set. God says there are certain things that are going to result. The biblical language is you're going to reap what you sow. You do A, B is going to happen to you. 
The Lord has just set the universe up that way. And I want us to talk about this idea, this biblical concept of control and God's sovereignty. But I want to think in terms of three practical applications to life. And the first one is this. Since God is in control, there are limits to the plans that I make. We saw this testified to today. That we can make plans. The Bible says that since God is in control, the plans that I make are really only tentative. How many of you have ever heard the, uh, the phrase, the sky's the limit? It's not. God is. God is the one who sets limitations. He sets limits on my life and your life. Proverbs 19.21, Gene referred to these two passages a minute ago. Many are the plans in the mind of man, but it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. God's purposes are the only purposes that will ultimately stand. Proverbs 16.1 says, we make our plans, but God has the last word. I love that translation. He's the one who has the last word. Have you by chance yet discovered that all of your life does not go the way you planned? You, you found that out, you know? And the best thing we can do is, is kind of be tentative in our plans because God has the last word. And God has the last word because God has a better idea than you do. Anybody out there, maybe married to the person and it wasn't the first person you thought you were going to marry... Anybody out there maybe like me who you're not in the career field that was your first thought. My first thought about what my career field was going to be, I was going to be a forest ranger in Pisgah National Forest. That's what I was going to do in my life. And then later God changed it. So by the time I got to college, um, I, I had already had a job lined up. I was in a degree study field of adaptive physical education so that when I got out, I would go to work for the Special Olympics. All that was planned. And in the middle of my plans, God changed them. God, God, God just did that. He changed my plans. And see, we need to be flexible enough to allow God to do that. Uh, great mission consultant Reggie McNeil says that what we need to do is move from people who are always strategically planned to people who are strategically prepared. Remember the passage we read to start off with from Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17? Talking about feudal thinking. When we think we're in control, that's the, that's the epitome of feudal thinking. And here's what it looks like. When we're thinking futilely, here's what's happening. We're presuming. Feudal thinking equals presumption. You know, when I think that I got it all figured out, and I don't need God, that I know exactly what I'm doing, so much so that I don't pray about things, I'm just assuming, I'm presuming on God. And the Bible says... That since life is uncertain, we shouldn't presume on it. Proverbs 27.1 says, Don't brashly announce what you're going to do tomorrow. You don't know the first thing about tomorrow. The New Testament, James says this, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we'll go into such and such a place, town, and spend a year there, and we'll trade, and we'll make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord's will. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. See, it's okay to make plans as long as you understand your plans are tentative. A mature person begins making flexible plans. Now some people, and you may be one, I don't know. Sometimes I can struggle with this. I, I, I make plans and then when something doesn't adapt to my plans, 
You know? But what I, mature people, as you're growing in your faith, you come to understand that I need to plan in such a way that God can change things. Now, the opposite of futile thinking is fruitful thinking. And a fruitful way to think is in cooperation. Fruitful thinking equals cooperation. And what cooperation looks like is I include God in my plans. I include God in my goal setting. So how do I do that practically? Prayer. I, I, I pray. See, a plan without prayer is presumption. If you make plans without taking it to God first, you're, you're presuming upon God. So many times what we do is we say, God, here's my plan, would you bless it? When what we really need to be praying is, God, what are you blessing and how, how can I plan my life to get involved? How can I get into the stream of your blessing so that my plans get changed? See, right thinking is found in what Proverbs 69 says. It says we should make plans counting on God to direct us. You should make plans, but you need to create space in your planning process for God to direct. That's cooperation. That's cooperating with God. Making plans, but realize your plans need to be tentative. Ask God, what do you want me to do? Pray about all your plans. Ask for godly wisdom and let him be in control. So we can plan. But we, none of us plan for problems, for the most part. None of us think, ooh, I want to plan so that I have some really cool problems in my life. Problems just come, they happen. But since God is in control, there is a plan for the problems you face. God even has a plan for those problems. There are limits to your plans, but God actually has a, a plan for the problem you face. Per First Peter chapter 1 verse 6 says this, Even though you are temporarily harassed by all kinds of trials. Everyone in this room has something going on in their life where they are temporarily harassed. The Bible says this is no accident. What you're facing right now, not an accident. It happens to prove your faith, to, to, to mold and shape and strengthen your faith. To give you a faith which is infinitely more valuable than gold. What you're facing is not an accident. Those problems are not an accident. God is saying in that verse, your life is not a series of random meaningless problems. If you're a child of God, nothing comes into your life that hasn't first been father filtered. It goes through the hands of God before it gets to you. It's not an accident that you are facing the problems that you're facing. Now, please hear me say this. Excuse me. I am not saying that I believe that everything happens to you is the will of God. I, I don't believe that. I think the scriptures teach clearly some things that happen that aren't the will of God. God's word says, it is not God's will for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. That, that's God's will. But the Bible also tells us that there are going to be some who perish. I'm convinced there are many things that happen that, that are not God's intentional will, but he permits them. They're not his heart's desire. But in his sovereignty... His ultimate plan is going to be carried out. His, his route is not going to be shaken in any way. For instance, you choose to sin. That's not God's will. I, I've heard somebody getting cancer and people will say, must be God's will. Who said? Where, 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 do, you, where do you get? Now, can God specifically put cancer on somebody's body? Absolutely. He's God. 
He, he can do that. I just don't believe that every evil that befalls every person is directed by God. If that were true, why in the world would Jesus instruct our prayer life to be? To pray, Father, let what's up there come down here. Why would God say that? Why would Jesus say we need to be praying for what's done in heaven to be done on earth? See, there, there are things that happen in this world that I, I just... Now, there are brothers and sisters in Christ who will debate that topic with me furiously. And I love them. And I bless them. And I'm thankful for them. We just interpret certain passages of Scripture a little differently. And I'm just one who, who come down... And here's what's going to happen. Here's the truth. This point has... The finer points of this understanding of Scripture have been debated for millennia. And if Jesus tarries, they're going to continue to be debated for a millennia. And that's okay. It's good for us to think through these things together. I'm just not one that believes that God causes everything that takes place. I believe that he does have to allow it. See, God doesn't have to cause the problems that you have because you're so darn good at it yourself. And if you're not good enough at it, God put people in your life who are better at it than you and they cause you problems. You know, that, that's, that's just true. We, we don't have to, God doesn't have to do all that because we're, we'll bring these things on, on, our, on ourselves. But here's the really great thing about God's sovereignty and one of the most beautiful, powerful points of God's sovereignty. God can take the worst problem you've got and turn it into something good. He is so good at that. God could have kept Paul out of a Philippian jail. But had God done that, that jailer and his whole family probably would have never come to saving knowledge of Jesus. He had a purpose. He allowed that to, to happen. God could have kept Jesus from going through the crucifixion. But you and I would have spent eternity separated from God because of our sin. God could have. But God allowed it. Because he was at work doing something that we could not see. See, God allows problems to come into your life. He doesn't always have to cause them. So I just want to say, don't blame God for all the evil in the world. He allows it. But what he's going to do is bring it into focus to help us. See, if God is sovereign, it means he has a purpose for our problems. And I believe it's true. Then what that needs to do is affect how I respond to problems when they come in my life. Let me give you some examples. There's in, in the Old Testament, there's this guy named Job. And Job at that time was the wealthiest man on the planet. And overnight, he was totally bankrupt. He lost everything. Not only did he lose all of his wealth, he lost all of his family. Every member of his family except for who? Not just a wife. She was a nagging wife. There's no color on any, any other wife out there. But we just, she was a nagger. And um, he, he, but he lost everything. Next thing, he gets miserably sick. And God is permitting all this. The way we know that is the Bible tells us that Satan came and asked permission to do these things to Job. And God said, you can do this and no more. You know, sometimes we, we forget that God and Satan are not locked in some eternal struggle for power. You know, and there are these equal, opposite, opposing forces. That's my theological stand on that. Are, that is not true. God is, God is phenomenal. Satan has to ask permission before anything comes into your life that you're facing. He, he has to do that. 
And he, he did it in the scripture. And we see that they're not equal in authority. Satan's a creature. He's created like, like any other creation of God. And God is in control. But I want you to notice what happened when Job lost everything. How did Job respond when he lost everything? We see it in Job chapter 1 verse 21. Job says this. This was Job's response. The Lord gave me everything I had. And they were his to take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job says, everything I had, it came from God anyway. It, it belonged to him. He can take it all away. It's his right. But that, that's not the end of the story. Because God restored. He restored Job. Twice the wealth he had. Many more kids. Because God was in control. And what that tells me is, friends, if, if you lose a job, God can give you another one. You go bankrupt, God can turn it around because, because God's in control. Job said, blessed be the name of the Lord because he is in control. In the book of Genesis, there's this guy named Joseph. And, and Joseph is a great example of how do you handle pain that comes into your life because of other people. Joseph was the favorite son. And his brothers were terribly jealous of him. So much so that they decided they would kill him. At the last minute they changed their minds and decided they would sell him into slavery. But they still told their dad that he had been killed by a wild beast. So they sell him into slavery. He ends up in Egypt as a slave. And he's in this guy's house. And this guy's wife is attracted to Joseph. And he tr she tries to seduce him. And when he will not give in, she accuses him uh, of, of rape. So he ends up in prison, falsely accused. And he's there for years, dwindling away way. Now I can't tell you for certain all that Job thought. But being a Job, let me take a crack at it. I could imagine him sitting there saying God where are you in all this? I, I could imagine him saying what did I do to deserve this? Maybe he said why me God? Anybody out there ever prayed that prayer? Why, the why me God prayer? You know, we, we do that. And I don't know that Joseph did that, but here's what I, I do know. He came to understand that God was in control and that God was working on these circumstances through these circumstances, allowing them. Later, Joseph gets raised to a position of authority, second in command in all of Egypt. And there was this great famine. And because of the wisdom that he learned along the way through those problems under God's authority, he was able to not only save the nation of Egypt, but also his own people, the nation of Israel. Because of what God had done. And so Joseph's response to his pain and his situation, we see in, Jesus, in Genesis chapter 50 verse 20. And there we read this. Joseph is confronting his brothers now who sold him into slavery. And he said this, you intended to harm me. But God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position. He brought me through all of this. Brought me here so I could save the lives of many people. Some of you are hurting today because somebody in your life means something for bad. It might be a parent. It might be a child. It, it might be a, a relative. It might be a friend. It might be a spouse. It, it, it might be a, a, an employer or a fellow employee. I don't know. But you and I need to be, have this wrapped in our mind. 
that God is in control and what somebody else might mean for evil, your father always means for good and he's got a plan behind every problem that you face. So what do we do? What should our, what should my response be when I'm facing problems? Here's what I need to do. I need to look past my pain and seek the plan of God. I need to look past the pain that I'm currently in and I need to seek God's plan because he has a plan. If I'm facing pain, there's a plan to it. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes these words. He says, this is the reason why we never collapse. If you want to know why, how you can endure, how you can make it, how you can press on no matter what you're facing, Paul says this, these troubles which are really so transitory are winning for us a permanent, glorious, and solid reward out of all proportion to our pain. The problem that you're facing right now that seems to overwhelm you, first you need to know is transitory. It's going to pass. And secondly, it is preparing you for something so unbelievable you will not be able to receive it. It will overwhelm you when you re receive the war. And, and it will be so great that there, it will not in any way proportion to the pain and suffering that you're going through right now. Those things are passing away. Look at what verse 18 says. So we do not look at what we can see right now, the troubles all around us, but we look forward to the joys in heaven which we have not yet seen. The troubles will soon be over, but the joys to come will last forever. We've got to look past the pain to God's plan, to his promises. Now since God is in control, there's a plan for the problems you face. And since God is in control, there are limitations to the plans you can make. And lastly, since God's in control, there is power in the prayers that you pray. Your prayers make a difference. Your prayers are worthwhile. It's not a waste of time to pray. Uh, Jesus' half-brother James, uh, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, said this, The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. And I don't know what your prayer life is. I don't know what it's like. I don't know if you often pray thinking nobody really hears this, wondering is this a waste of time, thinking it feels like my prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling, coming back on me. I do know this because I've experienced it, that there will be times when I'm in prayer and Satan will whisper thoughts that say, what a waste. You could be doing something so much more constructive. Prayer is just a bunch of mumbo jumbo. You're just wasting your time praying. Those are lies from the enemy. That's, that's all that is. It's a lie from the enemy. Because God's word says my prayers have power. Your prayer, it, 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 they matter. And they matter because God is in control. Because he's in control, he has the ability to answer your prayers. Now let me say, if God wasn't, if he weren't sovereign, prayer would be a waste of time. I mean, who'd want to pray to a wimp? Who has no ability to do anything. Why would you want to ask a wimp to help you solve a problem? That, that's not the truth. God's not sitting up there and you bring him your problem. He says, well, by George, it frustrates me as much as it frustrates you. That, that, God doesn't do that. God never looks at what you're facing and thinks, well, that's too hard for me. See, because God is sovereign and he's your father... Your prayers matter. Your prayers have an impact. That's the basis for any miracle that happens on this planet. 
The work of God flows through the power of prayers of his people. God, God can do that. God, God can make time last longer. He can make it stand still. You know, he, he, can, he can part seas. He can turn water in. He can do anything he wants to. Listen to this from Ephesians chapter 3. We, we, we looked at this a, a months ago, really. It says, Now glory be to God, who is able to do far more than we would ever dare to ask or even dream of, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or hopes. God's saying, you pray the boldest prayer you can think of and watch me outdo it. I'll, I'll, I'll go beyond that. God, he, think, of, think of great prayers. See, here's, here's the point of prayer. The point of prayer is this. Prayer can do anything God is capable of doing. You, you can pray anything that God is capable of doing. And so the question always is, why don't, why don't we take more advantage of that? Why don't, we, why don't we pray more? Why are we tapping into the resource of God's power? Over 20 times in the New Testament, it tells us to ask. God tells us to ask him. Seek, knock. God, God tells us to do this. And God is saying, I want you to ask. I'm in charge, I'm in control, and I want you to ask. Let me blow your mind. It's encouraging to me that the things that are beyond control in my life are not out of God's control. Folks, that's, that's the heart of the gospel for us today. That's the good news today. What's beyond my control is not beyond his control. He's at work. So if you're here today and you're, you're thinking, you're saying, I got a kid who's out of control. I, I, off the rails. They're not out of God's control. You, you may be here today and you, your health, your health may be out of control. And you think, I can't do anything about it. God can. You, you may be here today and your finances are falling apart. You think it's hopeless. They aren't with, with God. Nothing is beyond God's control. And that means whatever your present situation is, God can do something about it. God can make something happen. Pray about it. Take it, take it to the Lord. There is power in prayer. Now I know some of you, some of you are thinking, okay, I'm going to do that. I've done that. But if I could pray about anything, and I can ask God for anything, why don't I always get what I'm asking for? When I'm asking for it? Well, there, there are a few reasons for that. First of all, because God's not a genie. You know, it's not you pop in a quarter and you get your prayer answered. It's not like that. Do you realize how big a mess this world would be if you got everything you prayed for, every time you asked for it, the way you asked for it, the day you asked for it? You would be ruined. You know the story about the Midas touch? Destroyed the guy? You, if God gave you that, it would ruin you. It would ruin, it would ruin our world because prayer would become like a weapon to you. Or you'd be filled with pride. You'd just kind of show off if God answered every prayer. A another reason God doesn't answer every prayer that gets prayed because oftentimes prayers are competing. Every year when South Carolina plays Clemson, there are competing prayers, you know? They're, they're just, they're, it's going to happen. There's going to be conflict. You know, one person prays for it to rain so their flowers will be watered. Another person prays that it will be sunny so they can go to the beach. Conflicting prayers. I heard of a pastor who was one day walking through the woods and a bear started to attack him and he prayed, Dear God, turn this bear into a Christian. And immediately... 
The bear dropped to his knees, crossed his paws, and said, Dear God, bless this food to the nourishment of my body. <laughs> That's the conflict of prayer. It just, it, it happens, you know. See, because we don't have total knowledge, we often make mistakes in our own asking. But the bottom line is, God won't answer those prayers. He's not just a mechanism, a machine that does that. You know, you, you say, but I don't understand how what I'm going through could be best. How could God... You don't have to understand. You've got to trust God. You've you got to let Him be God. You know, you say, I, I, I don't understand today, but one day... I'm trusting God that he'll show me. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, toward God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. You're going to have that request, but it's going to be filtered through God. It's a partnership. It's cooperation. And so our thinking must become, thy will be done, God. Thy will be done. Just like Jesus in the garden, before his crucifixion, before he faced that punishment, he went to the, the Father and said, God, if there's another way, let it pass. But not my will, but yours be done. Because he knew God's will was best. So how do we, how do we apply this to our lives? How do you apply this to, to your plans? Well, let me ask this. Do you include God in your planning mechanism? If you plan out your day, is God a part of that? Or do you just presume that the day's going to go the way you want to? You, just, you don't consult God on your day at all. You just go about your own business. Get up in the morning thinking you're in charge and just jump in. See, that's practical atheism. I know you're saying, I'm not an atheist. Well, you may be living like one if you're presuming on God that way. And that's one of the reasons so many Christians are living such frustrated lives. Because they don't take these things to God. They don't check with God before they dive into things. And life goes so much better when we do it God's way. Do you pray about your problems? Are you just presuming that you're going to figure it out? You know? Are you here today and you're one of those people that thinks, one day I'm going to do something about this Christianity thing. One day, you know, my, 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 my mom's a Christian and my, my spouse is a Christian or my parents are Christians. One day, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow Jesus. One day, I'm going to do that. You know what you're doing when you say that? You're presuming upon God. You're presuming upon His grace because His Word says, today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, today. And God wants you to receive his salvation this day if you've never done that. And you can do that today. You can trust God. You can trust Christ. You can say, I've tried being in control and I've made a big old mess of things. And I'm asking you to take my life and be in control. I'm giving you myself. I'm turning away from my choosing to sin and I'm choosing you, God. The Bible tells us don't boast about your plans tomorrow. Don't, don't do that. Don't presume upon the future. Today is the day. Those are your plans. What about your problems? Do, are you looking right now, when you look at the problems you're facing, are you looking for God in them? Are you saying, God, where are you showing up in the problem that I have today? Or do you spend most of your day just throwing yourself a pity party? You can either seek the plan of God or you can just live in pity. You're not going to do both. 
Those things are mutually exclusive. Are you seeking the plans of God? Maybe you can't see it clearly right now, but are you seeking it? Maybe, maybe God's plan for you today is, is this. Trust me. Maybe that's God's big plan for you today. Is just saying, will you just trust me in this? Will you turn over control? If you lost everything, everything right now, what, what would your response be? Would your, would your faith sustain you? Are you mature enough in the Lord to be able to say the Lord gave it? The Lord takes it away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Well, if not, then you, you and I need to grow in that. Because God can restore beyond what you could even imagine. What about your praying? Are you taking advantage of the incredible privilege of praying, of partnering, cooperating with God to transform your life and to transform the world? Instead of just complaining about everything, are you, are you praying about it? Instead of worrying about your finances or your kids, are you taking those things to the Lord? Instead of giving up on your marriage, are you praying about your marriage? Things that are beyond your control are not beyond God's. For the follower of Jesus, there should be no reality more comforting than the absolute certain knowing that God is in control. Some of you may be sitting here thinking, my life is a total mess. I feel totally helpless. And here's the question you need to ask yourselves. How big is my God? How big is my God? Because the God of all creation is big enough to handle your mess. And he knows how to take that bad and turn it into good. And if you're worried sick, you need to be saying God's in control. And if you're defeated and discouraged and you've fallen flat on your face and you feel like this miserable failure, you need to be saying God is in control. Or if you're sick and it's got you flat on your back, you need to be saying God's in control. Or if you haven't yet, when you stand beside a casket and you're thinking, why at this time? Why now? You've got to turn your mind to God is in control and that he is good and he is right and he's perfect in all of his ways. When you read the chaos and the news, God is in control. When you face that problem that you cannot handle, God is in control. And because God is sovereign, he actually has the right to be calling all the shots in your life right now. You, you, you realize, of course, you wouldn't be alive right now if God wasn't calling the shots. You, you wouldn't be. If you're letting him, let me change that. If you're not letting him call the shots, the Bible says you're in rebellion. You're in open all out rebellion to God and that's why your life might be frustrating. And so the most intelligent, most rational decision you can make is to look at God as the sovereign one and say, God, I want to cooperate with that. I want my life to be a cooperative relationship with you. I want you to call the shots. And I believe you're going to start seeing as you do. Fulfillment. And fruitfulness in your life. You'll find that niche that God created a sweet spot. You'll understand why you're on this planet. You're cooperating with the plan of God instead of fighting against it. That's really the invitation today. Let's pray. Father, we, we just come now to you. We come saying that we have tried the pathway. We tried that path of being in control. And it makes our thinking futile. 
And we realize that in this moment again. And so we just return to you, God, saying we want you to be in control. We, we want our lives to move from presumption to cooperation. Help us, God. We want to trust you, trust in your power, trust in, in your sovereignty. Trust that you are in control. God, help us, we pray. Maybe you're here today and that's what you need to turn over to, to, to the Lord is the way that you make your plans. Realize that there are limitations and that you begin to celebrate. God, thank you for limiting my plans because I want to cooperate with what you're doing, not compete. Maybe right now it's the problem that you're facing and you've been feeling hopeless and in despair and you're in that pity party and God is saying, let me lift you up above that so you can see my plan. It goes beyond your problem. I'm going to take your problem that you're facing right now and refine your life through it in such a way that one day my glory is going to be revealed to you and that problem is going to have been for your good and you're going to celebrate it. Maybe right now today you're here and you've never trusted God and, and you've been wondering why you stumble through life problem after problem feeling in despair and hopelessness. God says today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to turn control of your life over to me. And you can do that right where you're seated. You can just say, dear Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you came and paid the penalty for my sins so that I wouldn't have to control my life. That I could surrender all of my life to you. I could trust you with my very life, my eternity. And the Bible says when we turn control over to him, we can be saved. We can give up control. We can find power for this life. Maybe you need to do that today. Father, we come in these moments giving back to you. Trusting you with our resources, our finances, our, our money, God, that you gave us. It's yours, God. Blessed be your name. Maybe today you're wanting to re show us that you can do a better job with 90% than we can with 100%. You, wanna, you want us to see you in control of our resources. Or maybe it's our time or our talents that we need to give to you and trust you to do something with them beyond our imagination. Beyond what we could even pray or ask. So help us now, God, as we worship. Take our lives and, and you be in control. We ask these things in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9 o'clock or 11.30 services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.